Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. My name is Matt Love, and uh, we have the last topic in the series we've been doing on Pastor JD's new book, Essential Christianity, The Heart of the Gospel in 10 Words. And so we've been going through this series, this is our last one, and we've been really excited to go through some of these with Pastor JD. So JD, here's the question for uh, today. Uh, what is the difference between being religious and being spiritual? Yeah, you know, I think this is a really important question because uh, the fastest growing religious category in the United States is spiritual but not religious. Um, you know, a couple times in the book, I explore that just phenomenon in our society that there's a lot of people that it's like simultaneous to this growing interest in religion. Um, a growing interest in spirituality, there's a decrease in the trust for institutions, a belief in uh, different, um, you know, historic, traditional uh, religious belief systems, believing even that some of these things have been created to perpetuate power and discrimination and that they're created by the powerful as tools to keep um, people in oppression. A survey done just a few years ago found that there was a lot of people in America that were starting to describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. And um, that it rose by over like 40% in the matter of just a few years. And those who identify as religious fell, uh, I think it was by like something like 11%. And that's pretty staggering. Those, those are major statistical things. Um, anecdotally, you can just listen to the talk shows, listen to Hollywood, people giving interviews, sports stars. You'll just hear the echoes of that spiritual. I have a religious side to me. I really want to commune with, you know, the divine, with God, but I'm just not part of organized religion because that ends up being bad. Um, for Christianity, which is the world's largest religion, you know, it sounds like, well, that's pretty bad news. Um, but it it might not be. I want to explain that. First of all, I want to explain that I think there's a good and a bad version of that spiritual but not religious. The bad version is where basically people say, I want religion on my own terms, that I'm not really you know, interested in, in, in God or anybody else telling me what to believe, what's right, what's true. I, I don't want morality dictated to me by anything. I want to I look within and find the truth within me. That's sort of the zeitgeist of our time is that, is that truth comes from within and ultimately your best spirituality is a kind of self-actualization. And that's a very bad version of this. It's it's toxic, even though it really is kind of everywhere. Uh, Immanuel Kant diagnosed this years ago when he talked about um, an upper story and a lower story. Um, upper story is what we think of as true facts. Lower story is things that are subjective preferences. And he said that most people want to treat religion like a, it's a subjective preference. Um, if right now I am feel hot in this room and you feel cool, um, we can both be right. You know, just who, who likes what? Um, is religion in that category or is religion in the, in the category of math and science? Um, a lot more people are putting are putting spirituality in that, you know, that lower story kind of, of thing. And, th and that's a bad version. Christianity would be in direct opposition to that. You don't get to remake God in your own terms. You don't get to lay out the way of salvation or, or the good and bad of morality. The good version of that, I, I believe, is where we are recognizing, and as we've talked about in this podcast, that a lot of the formal religious structures, the ritualism, um, not that all rituals are bad, but ritualism and even you know, some of the authority structures and going through the motions, um, Jesus taught something entirely different from that. In fact, um, the enemies to Jesus were both the secular um, culture, the Roman culture, as well as the very religious culture. And Jesus, instead of focusing on the behaviors of religion, he focused on relationship, loving God with all your heart, 
loving your neighbors yourself. You know, the gospel is a gift of grace that you receive. Um, and so if we're saying I'm, I'm not religious in terms of the external cultural trappings, but I know this is more about relationship and I'm going to walk with the spirit, then that's actually a good thing. Um, you know, one of the things that surprises people uh, often when they read the Bible um, for the first time is that how central a relationship and communion with God through his spirit, how central that is to all of Christianity. I mean, you, you look back, um, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God. Uh, then when you know God led them out in the Exodus, he led them with a plow by day and pillar of fire by night. And they said, God is among us. When, when, when God's glory came down to be in the tabernacle, they said, God is in the midst of us. Um, when Jesus came, they called him God with us, Emmanuel. And then now in the Holy Spirit, he is in us. Uh, Romans, um, in Romans, Paul makes fellowship with the Spirit the test of whether or not you're truly a Christian. Um, he tells the Rome, this little fledgling Roman church that fellowship with the Spirit is the gateway to life and peace. He, he didn't say doctrines were. He didn't say behaviors were. Not that those aren't very important, but fellowship with the Spirit, which obviously is grounded in doctrine and and and, and results in behaviors, but the, the fellowship with the Spirit is the gateway to life and peace. Paul tells his younger protege, Timothy, that that the Spirit is how he can have power and love and self-control. Most people, I listen to a lot of leadership books and read them and power, love, and self-control. That's something a lot of people want. Paul says that is that comes through communion with the Spirit of God. Jesus went so far as to tell his disciples that if they had the choice between having him, Jesus, in the flesh with them or having the Holy Spirit inside of them, that they would choose the Holy Spirit if they really understood um, what the Holy Spirit could do for them. John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go back to heaven if it means you get the Holy Spirit. Um, so all that to say is the experience with the Spirit is supposed to be so incredible that it really defines all of Christianity, which is ironic that a lot of people think that you now choose between spirituality and religion because, at least in the Bible, um, they really are one and the same. You cannot have a relationship with God and not commune with His Spirit. Um, so that leads a lot of people to say, well, what does the Spirit do exactly? You know, you bring up communion with the spirit and people get all kinds of like, is it like, you know, warm fuzzies? Um, I had a friend who was actually in a recording studio, much like this one, except it was for music. And um, he said that uh, he, he was actually the, the one who did the hosting, like Justin sitting over here. He was the, you know, the one who was doing it. And he said that he was in this big sound studio and this woman was singing and, and uh, he said she was sounding great. She was a recording artist. About two lines into her song, though, she kind of throws up her hand and says, you know, oh, he's not here. He's not here. And the guy, you know, there, Justin, comes on and says, who's not here? And she's like, the spirit is not here. And so she she asked her little prayer team to come in. They prayed over everything, anointed the equipment with oil, which you know, I can see Justin like, you're not anointing my equipment with oil. Um, but, you know, they're anointing. And, and, and then they pray for a few minutes. She comes back on and starts singing again. Same thing. Gets like two lines into it. He's not here. They do repeat the whole process. Um, they do this like five times. And he said they were wasting incredibly valuable studio time, which is really expensive. And they said they're pour pouring oil over all my equipment. And and I didn't know what to do. He said, well, on that last time, I noticed as she started the song on the fifth time through, I noticed that the reverb in her monitor wasn't turned up. So I just reached down when she was singing and turned it up. And all of a sudden her hands go up in the air and she's like, he's here. Hallelujah. He's here. And he was like, I didn't have the heart to tell her that's the reverb, ma'am. That's not the Holy Spirit. It's the reverb. But a lot of people feel like the Spirit is like this thing where you get, you know, 
it's the it's it's the fullness of the sound. It's when the hair in the back of your neck stands up, and and uh, that obviously is not the spirit. That's just the reverb. Paul's going to try to show us in Romans, and I, I try to demonstrate this in in essential Christianity. Um, is what does it really mean to walk with the spirit? And Paul in Romans, he doesn't give us every component of it, but he he, he identifies several things. First, he says the spirit enables us to believe in Jesus. He said nobody can really say that Jesus is Lord. You can't have faith unless the Spirit of God has has put that inside of you. So the fact that you are convinced that Jesus is Lord, that you have a desire to submit to him, that's all produced by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13, it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The desire comes from the Spirit as well as the power to do it. Um, Paul explains that the Spirit produces the life of Christ in us. You know, Throughout Romans 8, Paul keeps saying the Spirit is life. Um, fleshly lust, that's not life. Ambition, that's not life. Family, that's not life. Communion with the Spirit, that's life. Uh, Romans 5, Paul says the Spirit sheds abroad Christ's love in our hearts, which means he gives us a, a felt sense of God's presence and his love. Jonathan Edwards talked about this as the difference between knowing honey is sweet with your head and and having its flavor burst alive in your mouth like the first time that you um, you know taste it. Uh, you just you just you suddenly become aware in a felt sense. That's what the Holy Spirit does. One of my favorite analogies for this is from um, a guy by the name of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones who described it like, imagine he said a, a dad walking along with his four-year-old girl and you know he's holding her hand and talking to her like a loving dad talks to her kid when all of a sudden he just gets overcome with a sense of her cuteness and he picks her up and he spins her around and he blows a raspberry in her neck and he says, you know, who, who's, you know who's my little girl? And she says, I am daddy. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, in that moment, is she any more his daughter than she was the moment before he did that? Well, no. I mean, legally, her status has not changed. But in that moment, she feels it. And he said, that's what the Spirit shedding abroad the love of Christ in our hearts does. It's the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. It gives us, He gives us that sense of God's presence in a, in a felt sense. Next, Paul says, the Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't be uttered. Now, you know, contrary to popular opinion, that's not always something you feel. Um, it's just something we know is is happening. When Paul says groanings that cannot be uttered, you know, I think there are two things in, in the word groanings that we can be sure of, even though that's a mysterious phrase. Um, groanings implies emotion, that, 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 that when we sometimes don't even have the words to pray, um, the Spirit is groaning. He's feeling our pain with us. It's kind of like Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus, knowing that in 10 minutes, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, knowing, you know, all the theological answers, knowing all that's happening, he still weeps with Mary and Martha because his heart is so knit to the heart of his children that when they weep, he weeps. And it's it's the spirit praying for us with groanings, just weeping with us. I, I love how there was an old guy, he's not quite a Puritan, a little after the Puritans, um, but his name is J.C. Ryle. He says, sometimes when you come to God, you don't even know what to say. You just It's like a kid coming to their mom and dad when they've been hurt. They don't know what to say. They just point to the area that's hurt, and they cry. So that's what we do with God as we just come and we point, and the Spirit is groaning with us as we do that. The other thing that groaning with words that cannot be uttered implies is it implies a wisdom that's just beyond our ability to express. And it's the assurance that the Spirit is praying for us with wisdom that is not available to us um, when we don't exactly know how to pray. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard it said before that, um, you know, sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. And um, the spirit knows what he knows. And so sometimes when we don't know what to ask for, the spirit kind of comes over and prays 
for us so that we're asking what really God in his goodness wants to give to us. Those are all things the Spirit is doing in you if you are a believer, uh, things that the Spirit is is um, is doing right now in your heart. Yes, the Spirit guides us. Yes, he will give us sometimes incredible words of faith and prophecy and all the different things there. I mean, I, I believe in all that stuff, but the main thing the Spirit of God does is he sheds abroad Christ's love and he communicates Christ's presence and he fills us with the spiritual fruits, the 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 love and the joy and the peace that that characterize life in the spirit. Um, so you say, I want to be spiritual, but not religious. I would actually say that's actually not a bad place to start with when turning toward Christianity, because Jesus in many ways was the opposite of religion. It was religious people who were most against him. He taught that to know God, you know him from the heart in spirit. And the New Testament describes really knowing God as essentially fellowship in the spirit. So I actually think you're asking a good question. It's in a good place. If by that you mean, I don't want to be told at all what to believe. I want to do whatever I want. Then yes, that's not what the Bible says, because the Bible is God's revelation to us of God's mind and his heart that we receive and we follow. But if you do that, it'll lead you to the most incredible experience of the spirit uh, that you could ever imagine. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that was helpful. And, you know, if any of these questions we've been doing in this series have been helpful, we would encourage you to go and grab JD's new book, Essential Christianity. It is available at thegoodbook.com. All these questions have been based on that. So if you've been enjoying these or these have been helpful and you want to hear a little bit more about these questions and, and even a couple of others, um, go grab that book today at thegoodbook.com. And then next week, we're going to be answering the question, how do we know if revival is real. So we hope to see you next time on Ask Me Anything. Ask Me Anything.